What is up, Football Life? Thank you for hopping over to YouTube with us on the show. If you're watching us, you see I'm doing the Black Panther symbol. This show is dedicated to the late, great Chadwick Boseman, our Black Panther, who did some prominent football roles as well. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. This is Football Life Presents the Audible. I am your host, Randy Hammond, joined by my co-host, who battled through some technical difficulties just now, but he's here. We're here. We're ready to do this, Matt. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, Randy. You know, trying to make it through this crazy technological world of ours and Zoom not cooperating with Facebook. But you know what? When, the, when life hands you lemons, you make lemonade. And you know what? They say athletes adjust no matter what. So we're here and we're going to do the show a little bit different, but I hope you guys can join us over here uh, on YouTube today. And uh, we have a, a loaded show for you today, I'd like to think. And today's September 1st, so that means fall is in the air, spring is in uh, – fall is in the air, football is in the air. I got to watch a little college football over the weekend. I'm so excited about that. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're less than 10 days now from the start of kickoff next Thursday, Matt. Can you believe how close we are to football? I'm so excited. It's, it's right here for us. It's all right here. It's less than a week and a half away now for some of us. And it's just so tantalizing. Chiefs, Texans, Watson, Mahomes. It's going to be an epic Thursday night battle. You just get ready for it, man. It's just college football feels different. It feels like it's got the weight on it. So I'm not sure if I'm into it as much. But, man, I'm, I'm all goes for the NFL right now. I'm ready. We've, we've gone through a lot this year. I think we all could use some football. And we're, we're right there. Kickoff is so very much, so close. And I'm, I'm so, so ready for it. Um, but we have football news to talk about, and there's been a ton of football news since the last time we spoke to you guys. Uh, we're going to start off with a with not, your not-so-typical um, Monday morning news dump, which is the Chargers are cutting former fourth overall pick running back Leonard Fournette. Uh, and we found out just a couple hours ago that he cleared waivers altogether. Uh, I understand that the, the Jaguars are rebuilding, and they're trying to create a whole different culture there. But to me, this seemed like a Marone decision. Um, they also said they couldn't trade him for literally anything, which I think maybe teams are smartening up on how to deal with running backs in general. That's my opinion. But uh, Matt, you know, Leonard Fournette had the best year of his career last year. Uh, Jags going full tank mode, huh? Oh, yeah, this is a, to a total tank job right here. You take a look at Fournette and hopefully these guys decide that, hey, you know what? Montgomery's going to be out for probably a month. We need a running back. And you know what? I, I'm not delusional. Fournette's not a great running back, but he's not bad. He, he can run downhill, get you some yards. I think it's worth a flyer for this year. And, you know, I'm not sure if you heard the other news while you're making these shots at these running backs, but Joe Mixon signed a four-year, $48 million extension. Yeah. I mean, Mixon also had a great year last year for the Bengals. And, uh, you know, it's not a whole lot of money. That's the end of the day. Like, you're not paying a guy more than – 50 million. I'm, I'm a kind of okay with it, but at the same time, it's a lot of years. So you're, you're kind of hoping he doesn't wear down. And I think the Bengals are going to utilize him a lot in the next two years, especially while they, they, uh, they kind of ease in Burrow to be the guy here. So Mixon, it's deserved. He had a great year last year, but at the same time, Fournette, I know his numbers are good. Everyone kind of giving me crap all day yesterday about how he had more rushing yards than he had and had more catches and he was super effective and his yards per carry was over four. Just watch the tape, man. He's not the same uh, effective, explosive guy that he was at LSU. I know he had a bad offensive line, but I don't know, Matt. When you watch the tape of Fournette, what, he doesn't do anything that really stands out to you. 
I, I think the most telling thing is you, you could take a look at the tape, and obviously the offensive line was porous. Um, being the worst in the NFL, I, I don't know if it's the worst, but I always look at yards after contact, and it, it wasn't really all that impressive. Uh, you know, just him reading the holes and hitting them, I, I feel like there's a little bit of a delay for him to process that information, and it just makes it hard for him to, you know, get those extra yards. So I don't want to say that it's a – obviously it's a bus pick. You know, the fourth overall running back, you know, it, it was kind of risky to begin with. But I, I think Fournette could make a decent career for himself kind of what we talked about last week to end the show was touchdown poaching. I could see Fournette landing in a very comfortable role, poaching touchdowns from some running backs in this league. Yeah, so many teams do the running back by committee thing now. And the Giants did this thing way back in the day when they were still good, where they had the the thunder and lightning style, where you had one quick guy uh, and you had one bruiser, where Fournette could totally be the bruiser in this scenario. He could play the Brandon Jacobs role for a team. And for me, the team is the Chiefs. Uh, the Chiefs drafted this guy, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, in the first round, and he is the guy because Damian Williams opted out for this season. So for me, if the Chiefs want to take a flyer on a guy to just be uh, a nice piece to compliment Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, why not be Leonard Fournette? Um, he's kind of the opposite sort of guy. He doesn't have great hands. He's not super quick. But like you said, he could be the goal line short yardage guy. Um, and maybe he'll come and he'll be motivated to play for the Chiefs and maybe win. Um, who knows? Uh, a couple other landing spots uh, I could see for Leonard Fournette before we move on. The New England Patriots, their running game is kind of a mixed bag of guys who have been around forever that, you know, Sony Michelle they drafted in the first round. That was probably a mistake. Um, they, I mean, they have James White, who's always in the mix, Rex Burkhead, and then they signed Lamar Miller a couple weeks back. Okay, Lamar Miller, all right. I mean, it's 2020. Let's, let's move on here. Uh, and then the other team, which I find super interesting, and no one's really brought it up, but the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, we've talked about how much how much we love their offense and how much, you know, we expect from them with Tom Brady now in, in this, uh, leading the charge. When their running backs are Ronald Jones and LaShawn McCoy. Why not bring in a guy who had success last year in the same state, just be used to the warm climate, and see what happens? Again, maybe he's going to be motivated when you bring him in with a chance to win. Who knows? I think the Jaguars became a toxic situation, which led to some bad attitudes all around, and that's why they're blowing this thing up. So uh, that's also why – I mean, we're not, we're not going to get into it on the show, but they also traded Unique and Gokway for not a whole lot this week. I mean, the, Chargers, uh, the Jaguars are totally just blowing this whole thing up. And uh, my, my last point here is this is all in for Trevor Lawrence now. The, this is the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes, and they are putting their hat in the ring and said, this is our guy. And, you know, I think that they're the prime candidate for him. I think that they're going to lead the charge, and they're going to be the team that is the worst team in the NFL and ends up with them. Oh, yeah, I think that's a foregone conclusion. But I'll, I'll say this. I mean, we thought Miami was going to tank. We thought Miami was going to be the worst yeah. team in the NFL. I don't think we took into account how good of a coach Brian Flores is. So I I think at the end of the day, um, when we look at the Jags, I don't know where they win a game at other than Detroit and maybe Houston, but Mm -hmm. that's kind of a stretch, but we go through, I mean, maybe the Washington football clubs worse than them. But it really feels like it's Washington or the Jags for Trevor Lawrence, and neither situation appears too appetizing. Yeah, uh, it kind of feels like we're like the Bengals were the clear-cut um, 
favorite after all those injuries to, to get the number one overall pick, I think, at this point. Uh, we all thought it was going to be the Dolphins last year and ended up not. So we'll see what happens. But I think, I, you know, you're right with those two teams being the, the top two contenders. Um, another running back, and this came out just a couple hours ago before we got <laughs> came on the show, uh, Alvin Kamara and the Saints might not be doing too hot together right now. Um, it came out the Saints are willing to trade uh, their feature running back who, you know, has injury issues, but also has been sitting out practices in hopes to get a contract extension. Um, he didn't demand a trade. He didn't request a trade. But the, uh, the Saints came out and said, we are willing to trade him if we have an offer, which if you look at the Fournette situation, they couldn't even get a seventh round pick for him. So uh, if they want something of value for Kamara, I feel like that is uh, not going to happen. So I love Kamara, the talent, but I don't feel like they're going to get a lot in return. Uh, what do you make of this Kamara situation? It really feels like the running back market's like one of those bear markets that, you know, you're not going to get a lot for some guys that produce. Kamara doesn't scare me as much. I think in the right system, he'll, he'll be more than adequate. Uh, it doesn't make much sense to me when I look at the Saints, why they would want to trade him, why they would be open to it, because his skill set's so unique to that team. It's not like they have another guy in there that's going to catch 80 passes and probably run the ball for 150 times. And, and that's the formula for Kamara. You want him to run it 150 times, and you want him to catch anywhere between 80 and 100 balls. Uh, ideally, that's what he is. But he also wants to get paid. And I don't think it's one of those situations where, you know, he's going to get paid what he wants to get paid. They probably offered – I wouldn't be surprised if they offered Joe Mixon money. He's yeah. probably seeing, you know, like, well, no, you know, I kind of want that. 15, 16, $17 million a year deal. It's going to be real hard to move him. I, I don't think they're going to get a deal that they want for him. And I don't think he's going to get the contract that he wants either. Yeah, this could get complicated because I kind of agree. They're in a middle, they're, they're kind of in a rough spot where he's not worth the money he wants and the trade value isn't going to be, uh, they're not going to get in return what they would like to get for him. He's perfect for their system, but it is a system the end of the day and they play in a dome. So I think he's benefited from those things as well. However, uh, their backup is Latavius Murray, who, you know, is one of the better backups in the league. He's a hard runner. He's just not the same skilled running back that Kamara is. He doesn't have the, the pass catching abilities. He doesn't have the, the shiftiness that the Kamara has. He's more of a downhill runner who, you know, will break through tackles, but he doesn't make a lot of guys miss. Uh, ultimately, uh, Kamara, I think it does have value to the Saints. Um, and I think that they were – a different team when he wasn't a hundred percent and he adds an element to with breeze and Mike Thomas that they sort of have this Steelers big three situation where they had bell Antonio Brown and, and Roethlisberger. They have these, these two elite weapons on offense with breeze. You take away Camara and then it's just Mike Thomas with like an aging Emmanuel Sanders and a Jared cook. Who's unreliable. Um, to me, it makes more sense for the Saints to hold on to him than to trade him. So if I was the Saints, I would want to hold on. I, I, would, I would try to get a deal done here. But if they trade Kamara, there's some options. And it's the similar options to Leonard Fournette, where the Bears probably aren't going to give up too much, although it is the Bears, and you know this better than anyone. They've done some questionable things before. Um, not, not saying it wouldn't be a good move, but if they gave up a second or first, like second or first round pick. But that's, I think that's what the Saints are looking for here. Um, you know, the Bucks, which is in division, so I don't necessarily think that would happen. Um, but the Patriots, I could totally see the Patriots making a move here. And if you pair Kamara with Cam, that is a good looking offense to me. 
uh, especially you could run so many RPOs and Cam's really good about the checkdowns and he was really good with, with uh, McCaffrey in his first year as well. So, um, you know, where do you think Kamara ends up here? I, I think he stays with New Orleans. And if, you know, for our viewers that have seen the NFC South episode, it's like I said, this is Breeze at the OK Corral. This is it. You know, this is the year. And if you go off and trade Kamara, that tells me everything I need to know. You have no confidence in your team. You are saying, you know what? We're not good enough to compete this year. So then you go into rebuild mode. Why did you resign Breeze then? Like Michael Thomas, all this money that you've spent on these guys and you trade Kamara, that's it. Like you said, the three big weapons. I don't know where they get that production from. And it is going to be a huge hole, a hole that they're not going to be able to fill. And like you said, I'm not giving a first round pick. Even, I mean, the bears, I, I would find it shocking that they would deal any more first round picks. They, they did it for the Mac trade, which made all the sense in the world. And then you take a look at the rest of the landscape, of the NFL, the running back thing is out. Like, you know, we've, you've hammered this point home. I, Barkley was a unique talent. He got picked second. You know, there are some other running backs that got picked, you know, higher than probably what a lot of people would recommend. But why do this? Austin Eckler was an undrafted free agent. He doesn't have the same type of – the skill set is similar, but he doesn't have the same upside as Kamara does. But Kamara was a, what, a third or a fourth-round pick. So it was, a, it was a fourth-rounder, yeah. Yeah, so it's not like – you know, oh, my God, this unique talent. I, I think they keep Kamara. I don't know what his status will be after this year. If he, I don't think he's a free agent because I, I think they picked no. up his fourth-year option. So Right, they did. Yeah. So, I mean, he's got two more years in New Orleans. Maybe you trade him next offseason, but not this season. It's not happening. It's funny you mentioned, too, because Kamara was a fourth-rounder in the same draft that Fournette went fourth overall. When you look at the guys drafted after Fournette, it almost makes it seem like, every one of those running backs was, was more valuable, especially where they were picked. And Christian McCaffrey was taken four picks later. And you wonder, you know, what the Jags would be like now, you know, if they, if they tried, uh, they drafted McCaffrey instead. Although you look at the value of running backs this is the point I've been saying this whole time. They're not people that you need to win football games. You need other factors. And this is a complimentary piece that you have when you're ready to win. Um, and I just, I just want to make you feel good about your bears here before we move on. Um, that same draft, the Bears obviously drafted Mitchell Trubisky, and they get crap to this day for not drafting Deshaun Watson or Patrick Mahomes. The Jaguars drafted Leonard Fournette, and they passed on those quarterbacks because they had Blake Bortles, and they were all in on Blake Bortles. I'm sorry. That is worse. That is worse than what the Bears did. The Jaguars should be ashamed of themselves. How they went from the Final Four in the <laughs> AFC Championship game against the New England Patriots, they took a lead in the halftime. And three years later, now they are one of the biggest jokes in the NFL. You got to blow the whole thing up right now. You see, I, th that warms my heart, Randy. You know, some Bears love here. You know what? Yeah, we took Mitch Trubisky. We traded up for him. Maybe the 49ers weren't going to take him. <laughs> you know, and, and I will defend this to my dying day. Yes, we missed on Patrick Mahomes. Uh, obviously, th that point is clear as day. The only thing that I could gripe about is I – I wouldn't have picked Patrick Mahomes in that spot. I don't think anybody would have picked Patrick Mahomes at that spot. Deshaun Watson seemed like he should have been the pick there. That was kind of where everything aligned to, like, get Watson, you know, all the experience and everything. And I'm not saying Watson doesn't have holes in his games, but holy shit, could you imagine this Bears team with Deshaun Watson? You know, you pair it with that defense. I mean, we're talking Super Bowl contender. Look at 
But you know, I would, the excitement from you, I would understand at that point. Yeah, well, geez, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, we got Nick Foles, so don't worry about it. But anyway, uh, <laughs> but yeah, you know, teams miss on things, and I wanted to ask you about this question because I, I think it's an important question to ask. Let's take a look at the running backs that were drafted in the top ten the last couple of years. I, I'm going to name a few. You know, I think Todd Gurley was one of them. I think he got drafted at number ten overall. Uh, CMC, Christian McCaffrey, Zeke yep. Elliott, uh, Saquon Barkley, yep. obviously Leonard Fournette. Um, I think I uh, I think that's it. I, I don't think it's many more than that in the top ten. But with that, no, I think that's that's basically all of them. Yeah, so so we take a look at that. One running back really stands out as not being like the rest of them, and that's Fournette. Coming out of college, Fournette wasn't raved as this dynamic guy that could catch passes. Now, Zeke kind of carried a similar stigmatism, but Zeke could catch. Zeke doesn't get enough credit for his catching ability. He just runs the ball so damn well that they don't need to pass it to him. So, yeah. And Zeke was lauded as, like, the greatest pass-blocking running back ever. Like, he was – Zeke had so much more to offer than Fournette did at that point. Yeah, and, and for to Zeke's credit, he's lived up to it. He is a fantastic blitz yeah. pickup running back. And obviously his running style speaks for yeah. itself. And I, I think his pass catching is a little underrated. But, yeah, I mean, guys like Fournette, he, I, I will agree with you there. Do not draft guys like that fourth overall. CMC, I, I get intrigued by running backs that can catch and get yards with the you know, per catch, mm-hmm. not only, you know, along with their yards per carry. So I think that makes a difference in where you select a running back. That's why I think Barkley went too. If Barkley couldn't catch the football and have that dynamic playmaking ability right. out of the backfield, he's not going number two overall. But the Jags front office, when we talk about first round picks, Bortles, Blaine Gabbert, uh, Justin Blackman, um, mm-hmm. Leonard Fournette, like the list goes on, and I, for, I forget the offensive tackle. Was it Luke Jokel that they I think they picked? Luke Jokel, yes, Luke Jokel. I mean, just horrific drafting. You brought in Tom Coughlin, it didn't fix the problem. There's so many issues with the Jags, and Ryan Shiner brought up a very interesting point that I don't think you know should be discounted. Maybe they're going to be so bad, not only will it be Trevor Lawrence, but it will be Dabo. Wow. That would be something. I never even thought about that possibility. I thought he was a Clemson lifer, but that would be interesting. Yeah, Just blow the whole damn thing up. Your franchise sucks. No one cares about you. Dabo's a Bible nut anyway, so he'll fit right in. Per- that, that town would eat <laughs> that shit up. Like, he is Florida man before Florida man was even thought of. Dabo is Florida man. Then you get Trevor Lawrence. He gets his coach. You know, you get a little buzz down there in Jacksonville. Still, no one's going to go to your games because you suck ass. But you know what? <laughs> They're going to be so bad, everything's going to go. Yes. Uh, you know, I, I have no interest in the Jacksonville Jaguars. If, if Dabo Swinney left one of the best run college football programs for the Jags, that would just show me the power of the NFL. And, you know, I, I would just be speechless. But Trevor Lawrence might be the reason more than anything. So maybe he's uh, the second coming of Andrew Luck, which is totally possible. I think we've gone off the rails a little bit here when we went from Camaro back to the Bears to where we are now. So let's get it back on the, uh, back on track here. Uh, we have some injury news, some unfortunate injury news, because when I talked about the Chargers in our AFC West week, 
one of the reasons I love their team and their defense so much is Derwin James, and he's an all-pro safety that they drafted 17th overall a couple years ago. Uh, he is going to be out six to eight months because he needs a complete meniscus repair, which is not a reconstructive surgery. This is not just a quick microscopic thing. This is a whole big surgery, and this is an operation that could affect his entire career. So there's two questions here for you, Matt. You're not a doctor or anything, but how does this affect the rest of his career, which is one, and then what does this mean for the Chargers this year, which I don't know if they're ready to compete, but their defense takes a huge blow here. You know, I am not a doctor, Randy, but I did stay at a Holiday Inn last night. I did, but in all seriousness here, uh, the meniscus yeah. is basically that cartilage that's going to prevent the bone from rubbing on the knee joint. And this is one of, I mean, for a football player, this is horrific. You want this when you're in your 30s, not when you're in your early 20s. And Derwin James needs that speed. I think it probably shaves a couple years off his career, just career-wise, you know, when we look at that. And this season's lost. So will it affect future earnings? It really depends how well he plays when he comes back. I don't know if he's ever going to get that, like, five-, six-year contract. Most safeties don't anyway. So he may just not play as long as other safeties. But I'll be interested to see how it affects the speed. You know, that's not going to feel good when you get up in the morning in your 30s. So this year, it's a huge blow to that defense. You know, having that guy that can range sideline to sideline, that's an absolute playmaker in that secondary. You you don't replace that. You know, those guys are rare. That's why there's only a handful of them in this league that get paid as much money. You know, we talked about Buda Baker last week. I don't think Buda Baker's is nowhere near Derwin James's class. So now they – yeah, so now you kind of look at guys like you. We've talked about in the pre-show, Earl Thomas. Maybe I just don't know. You know, Earl Thomas seems yeah. like he's past that point of his career. So I, it would affect my feelings on the Chargers this year. I, I, I would dare to say this is a last place team again. Yeah, it's a big blow. I really, you know, would recommend anyone who hasn't seen a lot of Derwin James to go watch some of the things that he does. He's about as complete of a safety as we have in the league right now. And this is a big blow. And I'll speak just from my own experience. I did have ACL meniscus surgery when I played football in high school, but this was 12 years ago now, and I didn't have a full repair. I had reconstructive surgery, and it was primarily the issue was my ACL, and my meniscus was partially torn. So, I mean, we see ACL injuries all the time. We see people come back from those things all the time. We never hear about the severity of a meniscus injury like this. And when you're a player who focus, who is so lateral in their movements and coverage, um, I think it's really going to make an impact on his speed and how he plays in coverage. I think his coverage skills more than anything are going to take a hit here. And you don't, when you get back from this injury, say you're, you're done, you're cleared in six months, you're looking at February. And then it's another six months before you have to get ready for preseason and camp and stuff it is so hard to start running again and feeling comfortable on that, on your knee. And it's going to take until you get hit or you lay a hit again in real game action to truly feel comfortable again. So we might not see Derwin James back hundred percent for until 2022. I mean, this injury could linger for a long time and I'm sad because, you know, this is as a great player that I like watching uh, on Sundays, but this is uh, this, this injury unfortunately happened during camp and I'm sure we'll see it on hard knocks soon. Um, but this is just another <laughs> uh, list of injuries that we're seeing here in this, in this COVID camp world. Um, unfortunately, this happens to a great player, and I'll, I don't want it to happen to any player, but this is probably the most prominent player we've seen get hurt to this point. 
And it's sad. I don't know. You know, we've kind of expected this, right, Matt? I, I, you're you're kind of going to see some of these players get non-contact injuries from having a lack of camp at the beginning of the of the spring and into the summer. Yeah, it's going to be something that I think plays a role into how this season shapes out. There's so many things. Uh, preseason gives you that live game kind of hitting action that doesn't take away from the padded practices in the CBA. So that's four extra games, five for some teams of getting that extra hitting in and kind of building your body up to that. These guys are going to go from zero to a hundred miles per hour, you know, come a week and a half, a week, you know, a week and two days for some of these teams. I, I really think that the first month we're going to see a lot of crazy injuries, you know, not so much different than what we see in the preseason, but there's going to be a lot more. So, you know, it's going to be important for teams to recognize talent and these undrafted free agents are going to play such a huge role into what these teams do. Like I was reading about the bears with Ladarius Mack today he's going to have to make a special teams roster. And that is Cleo's brother, by the way, he played for Buffalo, but mm -hmm. like he's probably ending up on the practice squad. If the bears have any injuries to the linebacker core, I mean, that's already thin as it is. The bears don't have depth behind the linebackers, but going forward, you hope they do. So right. I, yeah, I got a bad feeling. We're going to see some major injuries. I don't think Derwin James will be the first. He's not the first, and I just think, you know, overall he's probably the biggest name and the best player we've seen on, uh, get hurt in camp so far, which leads me to my next thing. It's not as serious, but it's also not that surprising. Uh, Philadelphia Eagles quarterback Carson Wentz is day-to-day -day with what they're calling a soft tissue issue. Um, Carson Wentz, you know, he had that one year where he, you know, 10 games, 13 games into the season was an MVP candidate and then blew his knee out in that game against Los Angeles. Carson Wentz is the guy I would uh, I would peg as the most injury-prone NFL quarterback today. Not all that surprising. Do you think this could linger into the season, Matt? Yeah, I think for Carson Wentz it will. I think Matt, it looks like we lost your audio here. I, I can't uh, I can't hear you, so I don't know if the you know some technical issues, but uh, I you see. Uh, getting injured quite quite frequently, and the, the Eagles did say that uh, they were doing this as a precaution. Uh, but at the same time, you're, it's reasonable to to kind of roll your eyes at that because it is Carson Wentz, and he does have uh, a, an injury history at this point. It's it's hard to deny, which makes me excited for the potential future of Jalen Hurts playing quarterback for the Eagles. Uh, Matt, I think I might have heard you a little bit there. You got me. Yep, yep, I came back, so I, I'm here okay. better than ever, but. Yeah, no, exactly to your point. Like Jalen Hurts probably gets some time this year due to some um, injuries that Carson Wentz picks up. I just need to see how well Carson Wentz plays throughout the year. Like, is he going to be able to put up MVP-type numbers when he's healthy? If he's healthy, you deal with the minor injuries like he has here. If he's not playing at that MVP level, you kind of listen to what Michael Bennett said about, you know, Nick Foles was better. I mean, the players know. You know, I, I know we – Mm -hmm. really get give a hard time to the top 100 because a lot of these guys are just you, you don't know what the hell they're thinking about when they vote but the teammates know it's the teammates that you really mm -hmm. trust so I already think Foles has a fragile relationship in that locker room so I'll be interested to see how this plays out yeah the talent with Carson Wentz has never been the issue I mean we all kind of agree that he is super talented and he has all the tools to be a great quarterback in the NFL 
Um, but his injury history, it's hard to trust the guy. And, you know, this is just a, it is a minor thing and they're not, they're not, you know, saying it's anything all too that serious, but uh, you know, maybe I'm being old man yelling at my cloud here, but back in my day, uh, players would, you know, they would feel hurt all the time and yet they would still play and they would power through it. And I know that he's had injuries before and you want to be cautious and everything, but come on, Carson Wentz, let's get a little tougher here and, and play through some stuff. Uh, but maybe you're right. Maybe uh, and when we brought up Jalen Hurts, maybe this is an opportunity for him to get first team reps and in anticipation for a Wentz injury. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, if, if Jalen Hurts comes in, lights the world on fire, <laughs> it's going to be another bad look for Carson Wentz because they get another quarterback who comes in and uh, outplays him and helps the Eagles win. So uh, we'll, we'll keep monitoring that. And uh, unfortunately, you know, we'll always have to deal with injuries in the NFL. Uh, and we talked about a couple of safeties earlier with the Derwin James news. The Giants making a move here. Uh, they signed veteran safety Logan Ryan, who spent the last few years with the Tennessee Titans. Had over 100 tackles last year. Uh, you might remember his most memorable play coming in the wild card round where he ended Brady's tenure with a pick six as the game expired in Foxborough, which just warms my heart, as you know. Uh, but if you ask me, Logan Ryan, already the best secondary player on the Giants defense, might already be the best player on the Giants defense in general. And they expect him to do good things because they signed him to a one-year, $7.5 million contract. That's not nothing. So they're obviously expecting him to come in and, and make plays. Um, you know, what, what do you, what do you think about Logan Ryan? It helps. I don't think it changes the outlook of this defense more so because I still think they lack defensive line presence and pass rush most of all. I mean, it, it's nice to have secondary players, a shitty defensive line can make a great secondary look bad and a great defensive mm -hmm. line can make a shitty secondary look really good. So it's right. one of those things where I think Logan Ryan will get a ton of tackles because I don't really love the Giants linebackers. So I, <laughs> I imagine, <laughs> so I imagine <laughs> guys are going to get to the second or the third level quite often. So Logan Ryan's going to have to make those tackles. But, you know, it, there's nothing to lose here for the Giants. Maybe he helps them win an extra game. So maybe instead of three or four wins, they get five. Six would be – a real surprising season. I, I think if you get in that six, seven range, a shitload of things went right. And probably you outscored every yep. opponent you, you played by, you know, probably getting 40 plus points, but I, I'm intrigued. You know, it helps. I don't think it hurts. Is he going to be an all pro? Eh, I don't know. No, uh, it, it's uh I mean, he's a good player, and I think that, you know, at the end of the day, you need good players on your football team. And the Giants secondary is still banged up with Baker getting arrested and his uh, – DeAndre Baker getting, you know, sentenced, and he's going to miss the entire season basically with his legal issues. Um, you know, they have James Bradbury, who's okay, but, you know, he's never a top-10 guy with Carolina. Uh, the Giants defense is still going to be a bad defense, so don't get me wrong. Logan Ryan will, you know, maybe help some younger guys develop, maybe let Julian Love – uh, learn from a veteran and you know at the end of the day this isn't the season that the Giants are gonna be winning so anything to help progress the young guys maybe for a future uh, I like the move I, I'm glad the Giants are doing something kind of proactive here they could have just sat back and said you know what we're gonna be trash you know what no we're gonna go get a guy maybe he'll improve our defense a little bit you ask me already the best player on the defense not saying a lot but <laughs> it's it's something so uh, and finally in the 
uh, signing news. I cannot believe this, but you're not. I don't know if you're going to believe this either. But the Kansas City Chiefs yet yeah, made more extensions this offseason somehow. Uh, <laughs> Kansas City Chiefs with the greatest 2020 of anyone. Uh, it's hard to top what the Chiefs have done this year, considering the rest of us have had kind of a, a garbage year. Uh, they extend Andy Reid, head coach, uh, and general manager Brett Beach until 2025. And, you know, Andy Reid is already up there in age. So, I mean, I'm surprised it's so long. But at the same time, it's hard to argue with the results, and it's well-deserved. That's all I can say about the Andy Reid portion of this. As far as Brett Beach goes, he walked into, like, one of the best situations in the sport. But he did push to, to draft Patrick Mahomes, which is why you are in the position that you are in now. So, I have no issues with this, and at the end of the day, you uh, you got to get to pay the guys to help you win. Yeah, I mean, I love Brett Veach for what he's done this offseason alone. Shit, man, he mm-hmm. uh, got Chris Jones to a very team-friendly deal, Tyron Matthew. I mean, mm-hmm. Patrick Mahomes basically said, sure, I'll forego money now. You just pay me whatever you make in 2027. <laughs> it's, it, it's really a compliment to what he's able to do as a GM and really figure out the cap. Because more so than anything, a lot of these GMs, their biggest enemy is the cap because they mm-hmm. have to figure out how to fit. And that's the real issue when you're successful is because everyone wants to get paid then because usually players stand out. Um, the Bears used to have a very cap-friendly team when they were really shitty. Now they have a really bad cap situation because they had a good year and they had to pay all their defensive players. And, you know, I don't know if they're going to keep Allen Robinson. So what Brett Veach has done, I tip my hat to him and Andy Reid. What more can you say about Andy Reid? The man is an institution in the NFL. I know he gets a lot of crap for the big games that he lost, but he won one. It took Patrick Mahomes to do it, but Patrick Mahomes did it along with that defense. Mm -hmm. But I I think we can all say that Andy Reid should stay in the NFL as long as he wants. The players love him. Obviously that team will fight tooth and nail for him. And I don't think you take that lightly. Mm -hmm. So, and it also helps when the coach and GM contracts don't count against the cap. So, you know, maybe they should for Kansas City. Yes, of course. Yeah, maybe they should. Uh, And, you know, I don't know anyone who hates the Chiefs or hates Andy Reid. Uh, Andy Reid is a hidden gem, and uh, you know I'm glad he's sticking around. I love watching the Chiefs. I love his offenses. For the longest time, you make fun of him for the way he handled the clock at the end, end of games, but I think that a narrative is kind of past us now. So uh, good for the Chiefs. You know I'm glad someone is making the most of this 2020, and uh, again happy for my buddy Tanner, who is probably enjoying this year as a Chiefs fan more than anything. Okay, so that's basically all the the contractual, not so serious news. We do have a little bit some some serious news to talk about. Um, which is the NFL is now uh, taking on the investigation into the Washington football team and owner Dan Snyder. We had talked about with Vince in our NFC East episode uh, about how 15 former female employees of the team uh, accused uh, high-ranking team officials of sexual harassment uh, within the organization. And now last week, there's another article in the Post that published another report alleging former senior executives of instructing employees to create a behind-the-scenes video of cheerleaders for Snyder and his buddies, which is just gross, man. It's If you read the details of the video, it is like the creepiest of creep uh, things here, and it's just it's sad and it's unacceptable. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if this will be the thing that gets Snyder to sell the team, but this feels really really just disturbing and i think it will eventually lead to that um but you know the nfl is taking on this investigation matt you know if it's not now when right 
Yeah, this, like we talked about, being one of the worst situations for Trevor Lawrence to fall into. I mean, could you imagine being the number one overall pick and you have to go into Washington? And I feel bad for Ron Rivera for the situation he's been put in. This situation, I, I'm trying to think maybe March shot with the Reds this is comparable to. Um, the Mets old ownership, I'm sorry, the Dodgers with McCourt, that, you know, Bernie Madoff mm -hmm. with the Mets. I mean, th th there's so many things here that make you really like, this situation is toxic. It's bad for the NFL. I think Snyder would do himself a world of favors if he just sold and went into seclivity, you know, just seclusion, buy Dan, never hear from you or see you again, make your money, whatever, we don't care. But this is just a mess and I don't think there's a way out of it for Snyder. I don't think it's a way out of for the principal owners of the Washington football club. You take a look at the past statements mm -hmm. and it doesn't help them in this instance. Like there, there was no compassion towards the team name. Um, it, it didn't even seem like they wanted to listen to people. And now you bring up these sexual favors type of deal that the wash at the post is coming out with. I don't know how this sticks. I, with Snyder, I, I think you have to say enough is enough. It's time to go. And this is irreparable. Yeah. I, I think of like, and it's so fresh in my mind, which is the Donald Sterling situation in the NBA with the Clippers where they caught him on a recording saying some, you know, very sensitive things, uh, especially that would be in you know today's world, especially, um, but, um, you know, this is just a representation of how you treat employees and how you treat them behind the scenes and how you feel about them. And, you know, obviously women aren't your, aren't your players, but at the end of the day, when you run an organization or you run a company, you have to treat everyone with respect and treat everyone equally, regardless how much you're paying them. And it is clear to me that Snyder, you know, does not treat certain people the same way as others. And that's unacceptable to me. You cannot treat women, especially people you employ for entertainment purposes like they are meat <laughs> at the end of the day you cannot it, it, how you treat well I, I judge a lot of people and how they treat women you know I, I really do and it's it shouldn't be that complicated and unfortunately some men just don't get it so uh, I'm, I'm kind of over the Snyder experiment I'm ready for this to be over with and I hope he does sell the team and I hope you know, you know give, give, give me Jeff Bezos and let's move on we'll never have to hear about the Washington owner ever again the Washington uh, Amazons I, I'm up for it at this point. You know, they might be better run. He might just buy every every great player there is and not not care about the cap or anything. Who knows? He's got more money than God anyway. So who knows? <laughs> um, but that's uh, that's the serious stuff going on in Washington. Um, as far as our weekly COVID segment, which is something we've embraced, I think um, the numbers were good for the NFL. They when they were down to just one player on the COVID nineteen reserve list. And then we get news today that the linebacker, uh, the 49ers linebacker and three other uh, 49ers linebacker, Fred Warner and three other players were placed on the COVID-19 list, which, you know, four players, not a whole lot, which is good numbers. I mean, low, uh, not a lot, which is good, but Fred Warner is a good player. He's an impact player for the 49ers. And it looks like they're going to miss him for week one, possibly week two. Matt, I'm just going to ask you, how does that impact the 49ers defense early in the season? It's huge because he's the one that's getting everyone into position and where to, you know, especially run stuffing lanes and adjusting the line and, you know, calling the defense. So even though he has a green dot on this helmet, his intelligence and his playmaking ability really became 
you know, really a standout star. I don't, I don't think Warner, um, I, I, I would give him the star label because he was every bit as good as, you know, everyone was saying he was in San Francisco. He really developed into a really good player. So this, this hurts. Um, now, if he's just out for three weeks, he misses week one. I, I, I'm not going to say it's a huge situation. I would want to know his symptoms. Like, is he asymptomatic or does he have the fever yeah. and everything else going on? Because, I mean, even Freddie Freeman talked about, you know, he got up to 104.5. And for those who don't pay attention to baseball, you know, Freddie Freeman plays first base for the Braves, all world first baseman. Yeah. And he, I mean, he wasn't feeling right for a few months. And, you know, Yoan Mankata for the White Sox is still experiencing COVID symptoms in his lower body. Just his legs, he can't get his legs loose. So it's just one of those situations. How is Fred Warner going to come back and how severe is this? So, I mean, it could be huge. Yeah, we've seen some people have the after effects for this. So, I mean, it's not just, it's not fair for me to assume that he's just going to come back and be his same self. So that's a good point. Uh, I hope, you know, I hope he's, you know, doing well and I hope he can come back and play for the 49ers because obviously they need him and for his own personal health and well-being, I hope he, he is okay. So. Uh, the other names added to the COVID-19 list this, uh, yesterday were Carolina Panthers defensive back Derek Thomas, New Orleans State's running back Dwayne Washington, Atlanta Falcons defensive end Stephen Means, and yes, of course, Fred Warner. So uh, there are five guys now on the COVID-19 list, which isn't a lot, and that's good. I mean, the season's nine days away now, so that is a good trend, and I hope they continue with that, and I hope they continue to do the right things. It's good on the NFL for that, and I hope Fred Warner and the rest of those guys are okay. Um, and then we have some college news and just a gross situation here. We're a power five conference. Uh, the big 10 is uh, voting to reverse their decision on the cancellation of the 2020 season. They are now uh, postponing the fall season, um, which there's no confirmed plan in place for when they will play. Perhaps it could be November, could be November, uh, December, uh, it could be January, which sounds like a mistake to me. Uh, but uh <laughs> It, and the president got involved a little bit today, Matt, you know, are we going to see big 10 play football at all here? I, I don't, I'm still skeptical. Randy, I, I'm at the point where who the hell knows. I think it's, it's such a calamity right now when you see the big 10 trying to figure out what they're going to do. Should we play? Shouldn't we play November, October, December, maybe January, who knows? <laughs> it, it, it's such a mess. And my, feeling is this for student athletes i mean we saw it and we talked about it university of north carolina had over 900 students test positive for coronavirus in the first week now yeah. other schools are talking about yeah our coronavirus cases are exploding so i think alabama had over a thousand yeah and then where are you isolating these guys at because i know there's not enough dorm rooms and you're sharing dorm rooms with other students like the yeah. isolation for this situation is just it's beyond stupid. And I know people are like, oh, what's football or the coronavirus is made up or whatever the hell you, th you may think. The numbers don't lie. And if you have a pre-existing condition, the coronavirus is really going to cause you a lot of damage. But even getting it, spreading it to other people, professors, administration, janitors, yeah. coaches, I mean, all this stuff is just, it's not just about you. It's about the people that you can give it to that are, are at more risk. So them doing a football season. We don't even know what the fans are there. Are there going to be fans in the stands? You know, mm -hmm. do they have the face masks like the NFL is doing with the spit guards? You know, all of this stuff is just 
they don't have the resources. They don't have the money. They don't have players getting paid. They don't have a players association for these kids. And I swear to God, if one of these kids fucking dies because the Big Ten, the Pac-12, the Big 12, the SEC, the ACC, you know, because they're too stupid to realize, hey, there's bigger things in here that are bigger than football for our student athletes. That's the first thing these fucking coaches come to your door and they tell you, I'm going to take care of your son. Well, where is it? You know, because to me, Randy, just from my point of view, it totally feels like to me, and I experienced it firsthand, that these guys are just a fucking piece of meat to get the coach more money. Yeah. And uh, it's hard to say you care about player safety and then get thrown into this situation. But, you know, to counter that argument, and it's not against what you're saying, because I do agree that once, you know, if, if God forbid someone dies from this, uh, it's going to look very bad in all these conferences. But this is also in response to a lawsuit filed by eight Nebraska players, um, essentially um, saying that they did not support the, the suspendment of the play and they wanted to be either they wanted the decision to be reversed or they wanted to be awarded some of the losses that they had. Um, you know, these kids at the end of the day, they want to play. And, you know, I think that it's in a top, it's a tough spot for this, these conferences. It's a tough spot for these coaches. Like the players only have a certain amount of, of eligibility. They're only young for so long. These guys find value in playing football. Um, and, <laughs> It's. I understand that it's complicated. It's not as simple as cancel everything, shut everything down until this is taken care of. And it's not as simple as just let them play. It's not that serious for younger people. It is so complicated. And, and it's unfortunate the NCAA didn't get ahead of this, kind of like the NFL and didn't come up with a plan. Um, but these, are, these guys are not getting paid. And they were going to get hit with a lawsuit if they just went out there and played anyway. So I don't know. Did you see the Nebraska kid lawsuit? Were you surprised about that to me? I, I saw this coming when they formed that union situation a couple of weeks ago. The players want to play here and they're pressuring these organizations to let them play. So I'm not that shocked. Yeah, I, I read about it. And I think at the end of the day is the adults are still the adults in the room. Like if the kids want to go play football, let them go find somewhere else to play. You know, that's the thing. There's no Canadian football this year. So they can't go up to Canada and play football. There's no, football and you know the xfl's done with now so where are they going to go because they have to wait the three years before they're even eligible for the nfl draft so what losses are they going to incur because i i'm pretty sure they're still on scholarship it was not like they were not getting paid on a scholarship basis so please tell me the eight players that decided that they wanted to sue the university what are the big 10 conference what losses did they suffer if they're still receiving the benefits they can go get a job. They can get better grades. They can train. They can figure stuff out. Football is not the end-all, be-all, and the adults in the room still have to make the adult decisions. And that's the difference, I think, what we see with the NFL. These teams are multi-billion-dollar organizations, each and every one of them. There's not one team in the NFL that I would say is worth mm-hmm. under a billion dollars. And if they were to sell them, you know, probably the Cowboys could fetch $10 billion on the open market. But here's the thing. The colleges don't have the space that the Rams can when the Rams go, you know, get this huge chunk of land and break up two different weight rooms and all this stuff. And I know colleges have these elaborate campuses now, but they need more space. They have more players. 
this does not make any sense on any level, but you know what? Money's going to run things, you know? Mm-hmm. The colleges get paid that TV money, so, yeah. Good. Yeah, uh, I mean, there is a larger financial impact to a lot of this, and, you know, obviously the country's taking that hit with everything going on, and there's a lot, it's, it's a lot greater than just me saying that. There's a lot of things that went into that as well. So, you know, I understand that aspect of it, and if you want to start in November – why don't you come up with a plan and let them play four games and in a regional area where they cannot go around the country and be, you know, potentially getting and spreading this, this thing around and just come up with a plan. Don't be just throwing shit at the wall and, you know, hoping that it sticks. So I, I, I am just the lack of leadership all around and the lack of a plan is alarming and I'm not optimistic about the big 10 playing football. We're going to get college football regardless in other conferences, but the big 10, I, I don't know how this is going to shake out. I could see Nebraska moving forward as an independent team this year and trying to get some games in with other, other schools, but it also feels very late in the season to do that. So we'll see what happens um, there. Uh, all right. We're going to, this is, we're going to move on to our hard knocks recap and Matt, uh, I know that you had some issues getting access to this. So I don't know how you want to present this. Do you want to you know read some of the things and I can talk about it or I can just break it down, but I got to tell you right off the top of my head here, Matt, uh, you missed a good one. I'm going to watch it eventually. Damn it. When it becomes available, but no, just, just I, I'd like to have some conversation about it. You know, we talked about it. I know Brett Favre made a guest appearance, which I mean, yes. hell we're all a fan of Brett Favre and his dick pics that he sends people. So what did old Brett Favre have to say? You know, Brett Favre uh, just kind of, gave some mediocre advice about being you know, a pro football player and how to work hard. And they made fun of his haircut and his goatee. And, you know, they talked about how he was in the, how, you know, uh, Clay Johnson's dad was his best man at his wedding. And, and, you know, he got drafted by the Rams and, you know, he put, he worked for the Packers and he's best friends with Brett Favre. It was kind of a shocking experience to see Brett Favre even know how to use zoom, uh, <laughs> let alone like make an appearance on hard knocks, which is pretty interesting. Uh, and I, I don't know, understand Brett Favre giving advice to any linebackers per se. I guess maybe if this was a, a conversation with uh, with Justin Herbert or uh, you know maybe <laughs> maybe Jared Goff, I'd be like, all right, I I, I could get some quarterback advice from Brett Favre. Um, it was it was a weird dynamic. It was kind of awkward. I feel like it was kind of put on for the uh, put on just from uh, just for the show purposes. It was like, all right, you know Brett Favre, let's make this a segment sort of thing. But it was nice seeing Favre. He looks good. He's old now, but, he, you know, he's a good-looking guy. He's still got that sense of humor, you know, that Southern, like, you know, I'm a, I got my Wranglers on, you know, I'm drinking a Budweiser type humor. Uh, but, you know, I always love seeing Brett Favre. Uh, I would love to see him out there spinning the football in his jeans. But it was nice to see good old Brett Favre out there and uh, talking, to, uh, talking to a young player about his football experiences for sure. Uh, you know, I don't – I guess Brett Favre, once he left the Packers, he kind of warmed on me. And then, you know, hearing the guy talk, he doesn't seem like a total douchebag. So hmm. I, I kind of like Brett Favre. Brett Favre's like kind of my kind of guy to have a beer with and just sit and talk to. Stuff. I, I think it'd be a good hangout to have with Favre. And the, the other guy I'm interested in, I, I think I would love to hang out with and talk with a little bit is none other than the Incredible Hulk, Aaron Donald. Did he have any appearances? Oh, man. Yeah, so I mean, obviously, Aaron Donald is probably the best player in this Hard Knocks. Actually, I don't think there's not a doubt he's the best player in this Hard Knocks series. Um, and in this episode, they got to put the pads on and they got to practice with their pads on, and they also got to scrimmage. 
So they, they had a whole segment that the Rams simulated a game day, and they took the bus over to the SoFi Stadium, which, by the way, if you haven't got the chance to see SoFi Stadium, it is insane. It is like the prototypical, amazing, state-of-the-art 2020 stadium. It is going to suck to see that place without fans in it because it, it looks like it's awesome, although the Chargers are still going to play there for a while, and there's not going to be any fans for them anyway. But uh, Aaron Donald, <laughs> so they, 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 they scrimmaged the offense against the defense, and – Jared Goff has the luxury of never having to face Aaron Donald. Um, it got to a point where it was probably five, six plays in the row where they blow the whistle anytime anyone gets near the quarterback. So it was every time it would be blow the whistle, Sean McVay, sack, blow the whistle, Sean McVay, sack. And Jared Goff, he, he's, he obviously can hear him. He goes up, he's like, he, he gets home so fast. You can't do anything. I have nowhere to go with the ball. And I think that Jared Goff had an, suddenly an appreciation for what Aaron Donald does. And Sean McVay already knew this as someone who coaches the team in general. And he goes, having that guy is such a weapon because he draws double teams and he still beats these double teams and he still gets to the quarterback so fast. It's not even like you get pressure on the quarterback. It's you get pressure on the quarterback within seconds. It's like they don't have time to get to their second read. And if they can't move, if they're not mobile, they're absolutely screwed. And I think Jared Goff kind of a little bit of uh, caught a little bit of reality there facing up uh, against Aaron Donald, and it was you kind of like you get these like weird angles. You watch coaches tape or you watch like the All Twenty Two, and you see Aaron Donald's impact. Hard Knocks just gets these angles from the sideline, where you see his own offensive linemen struggling <laughs> to like they're trying to hold him and hook him and grab him, and they're just like, "Holy God, this guy's a freaking beast!" And uh, you know, it's it's hard not to appreciate a guy like Aaron Donald. Yeah, watching the All-22 tape of Aaron Donald is almost unfair because you just see he's right there on top of the ball. He's faster than the offensive lineman. He's stronger than the offensive lineman, mm -hmm. and he's quicker, and his hand placement is so perfect. He knows how – the attention to the technique is what I really caught my eye, I think, in the second episode that I watched – was just how much attention he paid to his own technique and other techniques. So, I mean, that doesn't surprise me. But, yeah, Jared Goff is like one of those guys. I think I saw the real Jared Goff, too, when he went against Khalil Mack in that Bears defense a couple years ago when everyone mm -hmm. was healthy, when he threw five interceptions. Uh, Goff is not the type of quarterback under pressure that I would want. You know, it, it just seems like he gets frazzled. So, I think that speaks volumes about where the Rams are at at quarterback, but I'm glad to hear Aaron Donald is dominating, you know, the California pretty boy and Jared Goff. So way to go, Aaron. Yeah, uh, uh, <laughs> go ahead, Matt. I was just going to ask any other takeaways from hard knocks. I, I, I can't think of the cornerback that I love for the chargers. That's always like the big talker, small guy, Deontay, I think it's his first name. So Dante Dion had a little bit of a, uh, you know, a couple moments here where he, you know, how he was the, and the guy in the first episode kept talking and he's kind of like this annoying gnat that's around everyone. Oh, yeah. um, but they called it, they called him like a fringe roster guy, but when he, you know, he's getting ready for the game, he's all like singing and dancing and he's like, he's super, his energy is contagious. I mean, at the end of the day, you're having fun when you play sports. I think that is what we're, was lost in professional sports a lot of the time. What, what strikes me is his energy and how happy he is to be there, but it doesn't take away how hard he works and actually how pretty good he is at, at his job because when he got in there at the scrimmage, they showed him uh, playing really well against uh, Jalen Rigor, the guy who we mentioned a couple weeks ago. Not Jalen Rigor, I don't remember the guy's name, uh, Guillen maybe. Um, 
the wide receiver for the Chargers. Um, he, yes. Wait, no, I'm thinking of someone completely different. Um, he was play, playing like someone, uh, like a third string guy for the Rams. And, uh, you know, he was breaking up plays. He was making tackles. And he seemed to be the guy who caught on in that second and third unit when he was on the field. Uh, and he made plays. And I think, you know, he had a play at the end where he undercut um, Robert Woods. He was out there. Woods runs a, a button hook. And he cuts in front of the hook, and he has a pick right in his hands. He drops it. But the fact that he jumped the route, uh, everyone loved. And they're like, that's a great read. You know, at the end of the day, you got to catch that ball, but that's a great read at the end of the day. Um, so he had a, a nice moment uh, or two in that um, episode. But some of the other takeaways I had, and I'll, I'll just talk about it. Right off the bat, you would have loved this. Uh, there's a running back, no, a receivers coach for the Chargers who comes out, and they're watching tape. And he says, if you don't want to block, you're not going to play here. If you're not going to block, you're not going to play here, period. And he's like, you, you're not going to get the ball if you don't block. He's like, block first and think about the rest of that stuff second. And then uh, they cut to a part where they're actually at practice. And Anthony Lynn's yelling at these guys. And he says, he's getting on this guy's case. And he's like, what, you don't want to block? He's like, blocking is an attitude. And I was like, like I just got the biggest smile on my face. And I was like, yes, like these guys – especially those these diva receivers and some of these skill position guys that don't want to get their hands dirty. You got to block, baby. You got to, that's how the offense goes. You got to put the man on man, 11 on 11. You got to put your, your body in front of someone else and block somebody. And uh, I just love the blocking is an attitude line right off the bat. And it was, that to me is Anthony Lynn really establishing a culture there. It's a t-shirt. It's a t-shirt ready to go, man. Blocking <laughs> is an attitude. I fucking uh, <laughs> love that shit. I knew you would, and I, I just smiled like ear to ear when I heard him say that. I'm like, yes, this is like – I don't know how many other coaches, like, I'm sure they do stress it, but it's just nice to hear them getting on their case, especially these young players. Like, hey, you want to stick around, you're going to have to block, and, they, you know, you don't worry about getting the ball this time. Get out there and be physical. I love that. Yeah, completely. There was – there was a segment with uh, Keenan Allen and Chris Harris, which I love because Chris Harris played for the Broncos for the longest time and the Chargers and Broncos are in division rivals. And there's a part in practice and they're yapping at each other about how like there'd be games where Chris Harris is shutting down Keenan Allen and there'd be a, a play where Keenan Allen scores a touchdown on Chris Harris. And they're, they're on the sidelines of these games talking shit about each other, but now they're on the same team. And they're <laughs> one of the coaches goes up and they're like, Hey, remember that, that Holdman call or that pass interference call? And, in 2018, you know, week 17 or whatever. And he's like, who is that on? And uh, Chris Harris goes, oh, that was hot to him. And they show the play, like they're pushing each other. And then <laughs> they start like getting into it. It's like, it's fun. To, it's not like a dynamic I often think about, about how these two competed against each other so often. And now they're our teammates. And now they're competing against each other in practice. Uh, and they're getting the best of each other, but they're also making each other better. So I love that dynamic uh, with Keenan Allen and Chris Harris Jr. going at it. One thing I didn't know, um, which is interesting, but Melvin Ingram wasn't um, practicing. He was at practice, but he didn't pad up and he didn't suit up. He was kind of coaching up the defensive line because he wanted uh, a contract extension or uh, a, a basically a pay increase. And what they loved about it was that he didn't just sit out and just say, I'm not coming until I get my money. He was there yelling at the guys, giving tips on technique, you know, giving advice on how to pass rush and how to, you know, where to put your, put your hands and where to place your feet and like all this stuff. And he was such a, like a great scene of him kind of being a leader. 
And then there was also a scene with uh, Anthony Lynn talking to the defensive line coach in his office saying like, I just love that he's out there. You know, he's like, I, I wish we could get this thing situated because I want him out there playing, but I love that he's out there. because that's leadership and that's experience that we're looking for. And then eventually they don't uh, extend him or anything, but they guaranteed his salary fully this year. So that he got all his, his 14 million was fully guaranteed. And then that he put on the pads after that and came out and practiced and, and played in the scrimmage after that. Um, so that was something I didn't even know, which was cool. But during the segment from Melvin Ingram, the, he, he's rapping on the sidelines with like some of the linebackers and some of the defensive end. And he's like just freestyle and just random stuff. And then they go and he's in the studio rapping about like life and some real stuff going on in the world right now. And he's like, I've always been someone who loved music and I'm an artist at the end of the day. I love doing this stuff. And it added some sort of like background info on a guy. He's not just more than just a football player. And I think that's cool. Um, which, you know, you get the chance to check it out, Melvin Ingram. I mean, he, he has some lines. He's got, he's got, a, good, got a good voice. You know, I, I think that's, you know, a big part of being a performer. You know, how you sound is a lot of that to me anyway. Uh, it's, it's not always so deep. Uh, <laughs> and there was uh, another thing I wanted to talk about. Let me just find it on my recap here. Uh, oh, Tyrod Taylor. So, you know, this, is, this kind of felt like uh, and another attempt by Hard Knocks to hype up Tyrod Taylor. They did this years ago with the Browns. I, I don't think Tyrod Taylor is a bad guy, but uh, enough with Tyrod Taylor. Well, <laughs> he's, he's not going to be the future of the Chargers. Well, he'll, he'll be the future week he's one. He's going to start. He's a professional in every sense of the word. He handles things so well. He's a good leader. Um they kind of go through the chronicle of his career, and I didn't realize this, but he won a ring with the Ravens backing up Joe Flacco, which I forgot about that. But he has a, he won a championship wow. on that team as a backup. And they showed him celebrating with Joe Flacco on, after they won the Super Bowl, which I totally forgot about that. Uh, and they talked about his run with Buffalo and Cleveland and now that he's out with, with the Chargers. Uh, and they kind of talk about how he's like a, like a silent leader and he leads by example, but when he needs to speak up that he does. I think so often you see some quarterbacks who don't stop talking and are typically just yapping, yapping, yapping all the time. Whereas he, he noticed something in a run play and he said, instead of doing it, calling it like this, we should call it like this. And it was something as simple as instead of having the guard pull, we should have the fullback block this guy and then adjust my footwork like this. And like, I don't know all of the specific terms, but he had that detail in mind when he was out on the field to go, let me go look at this film and say that to the offense. And it was, you know, he communicated it really well. He had a reason behind it. And that's the kind of thing you need, especially when you have a young quarterback behind him to learn from. Because these playbooks are complicated. These play calls are complicated. And some of these, like, basic techniques of a quarterback now are complicated. So I think that part has value. But the Tyrod Taylor thing, all right, uh, I, I, I'm kind of over it. I don't know about you. I mean, I don't know if Tyrod Taylor is someone that I would be featuring strongly, but I think him mentoring a young quarterback is kind of an interesting storyline for them to exploit throughout the series this year. So I can understand why they focus on him. But, yeah, I mean, let's let's not kid ourselves. I mean, Tyrod Taylor is a journeyman quarterback. Um I don't think he's ever going to start for a team that has Super Bowl aspirations, but you know he's a good guy to have on the roster. Absolutely deserves to be on a major, or an NFL football team, and 
you know, I would definitely take him as a mentor, a sounding board, someone that may see things. I, I think he's very intelligent when it comes to the game of football. And I don't think that I would necessarily say that he can't play in this league. But, yeah, the, the thing that he's going to be this next yeah, – I don't even know what quarterback that started for a team that was a journeyman. You know, Doug Flutie, I guess, might be – under one of those considerations, but no, I, I'm not. But, oh God, Trent Dilfer. Boy. I mean, Trent Dilfer was a first yeah, round yeah. pick. I think yeah. Tyrod Taylor was what a second or a third in his. That's true. But um, yeah, no, I, I like Tyrod yeah. as a player and as a human, but n- not as a franchise altering quarterback. Yeah, uh, one more thing on Melvin Ingram that I forgot about that I wanted to bring up. Um, the practice that he comes out with the pads on, he's a really good player. I mean, him and Bosa are weapons to have as pass rushers. And the, one of the first plays that he makes, uh, he's he's rushing on the outside. He's just doing a swim move. And they try to chip him with the tight end, which is Hunter Henry in this spot. And he just doesn't even really look like he tries, but he just blows up Hunter Henry. And before Hunter Henry even hits the ground, he just goes, weight room, son. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a bad, it's a bad look for Hunter Henry because he's a big guy. And uh, <laughs> Melvin Ingram didn't even look like he lowered his shoulder. He's just kind of running. <laughs> and uh, that was hilarious. It was just a small moment where if you get the chance to see it, Melvin Ingram is a solid dude. And if you don't get a hold of him, that's what's going to happen to you. Yeah, I, I remember Ingram. Just, yeah, he, he's a beast of a per, I mean, this huge guy that's very strong. It, it really makes the Chargers front really good. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to touch on with the, with the episode of Hard Knocks, which is something I wanted to – I'm a big uniform guy uh, in sports, and specifically football. I love uniform matchups. Um, there, there could not be a greater disparity between quality of uniform between these two franchises. The Chargers powder blue uniforms are just beautiful. And then the, you got the, the bolt on the helmet with the number and both of these teams tweak their uniforms in the off season. So I, I'm kind of judging it on that too. I love what the Chargers are doing with their uniforms to get rid of that ugly Navy blue, like that Phillip Rivers blue that like they always wore during home games, which never made sense. The Rams uniforms are bad. <laughs> they are not good uniforms, and they are, like, radiant, and it looks like they have some sort of, like, fruit roll-up type texture, and the white ones are, like, cream-colored. They are worse than the blue ones. Um, I am – I'm out on the Rams uniforms, and I'm out on the, the helmet, and they did a poor job with that. Uh, they, they could have just went with the, uh, the twisted tea colors, like the yellow and blue like they had. But no, they had to try to get cute and be futuristic, and it's just I'm not a fan. I always loved the Chargers powder blues. I, I think those are some of the sharpest uniforms in the NFL. Mm-hmm. I I had a feeling the Rams uniforms were going to be a disaster after the new logo. <laughs> I mean, the, there was nothing indicating that those uniforms were going to be anything of quality. So, thank you yeah. for confirming my preconceived notions. Yeah, so they put on the uniforms for the scrimmage. Like they said, they wanted to do like a, a game simulation. So it makes sense. But the blue ones are okay. They're not anything to, to go home, uh, write home about. But the white ones are really bad. And they almost resemble like what I would expect an XFL team to run out there with. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised when you see the Rams make some changes to their uniforms pretty quickly. I don't know if they're like Bucks alarm clock number bad. 
but they're still pretty bad. So uh, we'll see. I, I'm just not looking forward to watching Rams games because of the uniforms. Like so much of me watching it is the aesthetic and what the uniforms like. The Bears have classic uniforms. The Packers have classic uniforms. The Raiders have classic uniforms. There's so many teams. Like the Cowboys, as much as I hate them, their uniform is classic and it's old school and it's like the perfect uniform. The Steelers are the same thing. Like some teams just have great looking jerseys and uniforms. I love watching them. The Rams not high on my list of uh, must see uniforms in 2020. That's for sure. Yeah, but uh, Matt, I'm sorry, Randy. Go yeah. ahead. No, 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 no. You cover. I was just gonna say. I wanted to uh, to move forward here with our uh, fantasy chatter because we, we talked quite a bit about some fantasy football last week. We talked primarily running backs and wide receivers. Um, so we figured this week we'll move forward and talk a little bit about quarterbacks and tight ends. Um, you know, we talked about draft strategy and where like where we would take certain guys. Um, you know, in my mock drafts, typically, and even in my real life drafts, I will always wait on quarterback. I think that, you know, the dis- disparity between the top guys and a guy you can get who might be finishing his quarterback 15 isn't the greatest difference in the world. I think maybe this year with the top two in Mahomes and Jackson, you can make an argument like it might be worth taking one of those guys, but I would always feel safer to wait on a QB. Um, is that how you feel? Or are you someone who kind of takes like, I would rather have an elite guy and get as much points as possible. I, I kind of know where you're going with your, I know where you think on your strategy, but I kind of want you to explain it a little bit. Well, yeah, I think for me, I I look at it two different ways. One, I'm never going to overdraft a position. I I think that's where you get a a lot of your things in trouble. So I try to keep that in mind. But like if I'm seeing Russell Wilson there in the fifth round or sixth round, I'm probably going to pull the trigger there because I think Russell Wilson at five in the fifth or sixth round is, you know, he scrambles enough and he throws enough touchdowns and enough yards where I'm okay with. But if, if I'm missing out on those top guys and I feel like the draft, you know, these guys are getting overdrafted. I have no issue waiting until the later rounds to get a quarterback. I, I have in the past streamed quarterbacks. It was a very risky proposition, especially if you don't know what you're doing, you know, essentially uh, for those fancy football rookies that, you know, you may not Mm -hmm. be familiar with streaming. It just means that you, you know, pick a quarterback week over week and just see who, you know, you do it by matchup. Like, is this guy going to play against a bad defense and should I start him? And you're basically picking up quarterbacks every week via free agency or the waiver wire. Right. Um, and and right. there's situations I like for that too, you know, but if you see a Cam Newton sin there in the 14th, 13th round, I, I would jump on that in a heartbeat, but mm-hmm. yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not going to waste a top four rounds on a quarterback. I just wouldn't do it uh, unless I get my socks blown off in the fifth round. I'm not going to do it. So just kind of my philosophy right. on the position. I typically will wait on both of these positions on quarterback and tight end just because uh, I think there's so much more value in the running back and wide receivers in those rounds. Like the, But to me, say you have the first overall pick and you land Christian McCaffrey and then you come back around, you don't have, like I'm in a 14 team league, for an example, and I don't have another pick for 27 picks. Um, and I come back around and all the good running backs are gone. And but the best receiver staring at me is Devontae Adams, or no, Devontae Parker, I should say. But I have Travis Kelsey there, and I have Lamar Jackson there. In that situation, I think that you kind of have to pull the trigger on those two guys because they are uh, the best players available. 
and it's you're, you are kind of overdrafting, but you're also not settling for the position that you want in that spot. Um, it's it's a it's totally based on where you draft and what is available. But if I can, I will always wait to quarterback. Like for example, this year, uh, like Daniel Jones, you know, there's a compelling case on Matthew Barry's draft uh, day manifesto that Daniel Jones is being taken in like the eighth rounds, eight to ten. And the Giants' pass percentage and his mobility and the weapons around them, while unhealthy last year, he did not play a single snap with Saquon, Evan Ingram, Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton all together with Golden Tate. Um, So if the Giants are healthy, there's reasonable expectations that Daniel Jones will perform even better. So I already have, you know, three, three running backs, three receivers, and a tight end through the first seven rounds. And Daniel Jones is there in the eighth. I have no issue pulling the trigger on that. Um, but even if you don't get Daniel Jones, some of the guys going way later, like you said, Matt Stafford, Cam Newton, Ben Roethlisberger coming back. I don't know how much you feel about that, but Baker Mayfield plays in a loaded offense. I would, you know, if I'm desperate, I didn't take a guy early, you know, I would take Baker Mayfield. Uh, Ryan Tannehill had a really good year last year. I'm skeptical. Jared Goff, you know, there's, he had, Jared Goff last year had more guys tackled at the one yard line than any other quarterback last year. I think it happened nine times. That's just horrible luck. <laughs> I wonder if we would think differently about Jared Goff if he had if those guys ended up in the end zone. So there are options later in the draft if you don't want to take quarterback high. I typically will wait. Um, but what are some of the quarterbacks you will you'll find yourself drafting in the late rounds? Is it strictly like the Cam Newtons of the world? I mean, I, I probably look at Cam. If, if Baker Mayfield's sitting after ten, I'm taking Baker. I think at that point you have to. I think the upside is just so huge. Um, you know, one of the sneaky things, and this is kind of why I like Daniel Jones, the difference between real football and fantasy football couldn't be bigger because yeah. I'm either cheering for my quarterback to be in a shootout or to be behind by a shitload of points because yep. those garbage points, man, just keep mm-hmm. on racking them up. Fourth quarter. And that's prime time for fantasy points, man. That's prime time. (laughs) Hell yeah. So you you take a look at a guy like Daniel Jones, and I think it's a perfect example. You talk about a perfect storm, such a spectacular, shitty defense that's probably not going to stop a whole lot of people. And then he plays in a division with Dallas. And I mean, Philly might be an offensive, you know, Doug Peterson can figure out how to put points on the board and then just kind of take a look at their schedule Daniel Jones is probably going to be trailing at some point in every game this year. Some games he's probably going to be trailing by a shitload of points. Now, the one thing that worries me about Daniel, well, two things that worry me about Daniel Jones, and this is why I would hesitate at te- in the 10th round or even the eighth round, Randy, Pittsburgh, Chicago, San Francisco, Rams, those first four games against those defenses are going to be brutal. So you're going to be relying on garbage points a lot. I don't know if I'm taking Daniel Jones because of those first four games and to back up that reason is Jason Garrett. I have no idea how Jason Garrett's system is going to go. So I would probably avoid Jones as my starting quarterback one. I I wouldn't feel great about it just because I think the start's going to be really rough for him I think he's going to be a really good quarterback I just don't like the start but guys like Baker um, 
I just don't know what there what is in Pittsburgh for Roethlisberger. I know a lot of people are high on Juju Smith Schuster and James Conner. Mm-hmm. I didn't see enough from James Conner. We kind of talked a little bit about that last year. I'm sorry, last week. And get ahead of myself here, but <laughs> I, I I do like guys like who am I thinking of the top of my head? Uh, I think Kyler Murray's probably going to be overdrafted. I think that's going to be one. Yeah, I, he's a guy I'm targeting, but he's in the top five of all the rankings, and so are so is Dak Prescott for two guys I would like to have if they were to fall, but it doesn't look like those guys are going to fall. Yeah, and, and you know what? Also, I, I do like Matthew Stafford in these situations because yeah. I, I think Detroit's going to be losing in a bunch of games, and he's going to get garbage touchdowns. Matt wow. Stafford is the king of that, and you know he's the perfect example of a guy who can light it up when you're down, and they're going to pass a lot. So I, I'm, I'm with you on the, the Stafford thought. Yeah, I, I just think there's too many options to try to limit yourself on to thinking like, okay, I have to get um, a quarterback in this round because even and, – and I know – let's start the Homer talk right now. I do not hate the Foles and Trubisky combination because of a couple of reasons why. I, I think Nagy passes the ball enough where, you know, we talk about opportunities – so I think you're going to see a lot of dump offs to running backs. I particularly like Foles because I don't think Foles is going to target one wide receiver. And I like the tight end position a lot better than anyone else. So just, just trust me on this one, but <laughs> I, I'm not drafting Foles or Trubisky. Let's just be clear on that. that that's my streaming strategy. I would definitely pick them up okay. because they, they play the lions week one and I think the lions have a shitty offense and they're playing the giants week two. And that's well documented that that defense is fucking spick, just a shit show. So I I don't hate Foles and Trubisky going weeks one and two. I just need to know who's going to be starting. Yeah. I guess if you play daily fantasy, there'll be probably cheap options for you too. uh, If you're looking for, you know, just weekly uh, matchups, uh, I don't think I'll own either of them in a season-long leagues, but I guess we'll see how the season shakes out. I don't think either of them will get drafted. So like you said, it could be a guy that you pick up uh, on the waivers. Um, I'll just tell you a few guys at the quarterback position that I will not own. Um, and th- those are Josh Allen, who was ranked as a top 10 quarterback this year. I won't touch Josh Allen. Uh, Carson Wentz, uh, we talked about his injuries earlier this year. I won't touch Carson Wentz. I don't love his receiver options. Drew Brees, I uh, just think he's old now. He's not the same guy. I won't drop Drew Brees anywhere. Um, and then Aaron Rodgers. Uh, I had Aaron Rodgers stare me in the face in the 12th round of a fantasy draft, and I was like, what happened to Aaron Rodgers that he is here in the 12th round? And he wasn't very good last year at the end of the day. I think that you know Aaron Rodgers in season long is a dangerous game, but if you play daily fantasy, like I said, you could play him based on matchups. But I don't love Aaron Rodgers this year, and I don't imagine that I'm going to own him at all in any leagues. Um, I know you're more skeptical about some of the top guys here, specifically Lamar Jackson. Uh, what are some of the quarterbacks that you probably won't own this year in fantasy? Yeah, I, I'm not high on Deshaun Watson this year. I think that mm-hmm. is going to be a very rough go for him. Um, obviously, I think Dak is going to be one of the top three fantasy quarterbacks at the end of the day. I think Dak's just – going to get a bunch of garbage points like he does i mean he's a fourth quarter marvel so you're going to see that along with cd lamb um michael gallup and amari cooper that offense is so stacked it's silly so i I take a look at Dak, but i I don't i I just i don't want to draft a quarterback where i think you would have to draft Dak. um 
thinking of other guys out there, Tom Brady. I'm not a huge Brady fan. I'm, I'm not a huge Breeze fan. I don't think that's going to go well. I don't even like Matt Ryan. I know Matt Ryan has been a fantasy. You know, he, he seems perfect for that seven, eight, nine quarterback range in fantasy. He always puts up steady numbers. Mm-hmm. You know what you're going to get from him. But I, I'm not a huge fan of Matt Ryan. And I think uh, to cap it off, one of the other quarterbacks I'm not high on is Jared Goff. I just don't like Goff yeah. as my starting fantasy quarterback. I don't blame you with the golf thing. The only thing I'll say about Brady and Matt Ryan is that because some, so many other guys are being overdrafted, you could get Brady or Ryan in like the 10th round. And that value is almost too hard to pass up at that point. Like Brady's offense is ridiculous. Like I, I feel like he's going to put up numbers just based on the talent around him. I would pick Brady ahead of Matt Ryan, despite Matt Ryan being ranked ahead of Brady this year. But um, I just love the potential that offense has. And if it's the 10th round and I still have to pick the QB and, and Brady's staring me in the face, I'm going to pick him. Uh, one thing I noticed too with my mocks that I've done is that people are taking Kyler, Dak, Deshaun Watson, Josh Allen over Russell Wilson. And I don't understand. Uh, I love Russell Wilson. I understand that you know fantasy is different than real life, but Russell Wilson's going to put up great numbers. He's going to be super efficient and he's still going to get rushing touchdowns. So Stop over uh, overestimating Russell Wilson and pick him. He's he's legit the second best quarterback in the NFL. So I don't understand that. But you know, if you can get Russell Wilson in the seventh, by all means, go ahead and pull pull the trigger. Yeah, I love Russell Wilson anywhere between rounds five, six, and seven. I mean, if he's there, I'm picking him at round five just because I think with DK Metcalf having that extra year of experience, and I love DK Metcalf. I think DK Metcalf's a world beater. Tyler mm-hmm. Lockett. Um, you know, I, I just – Seattle just does really well offensively, and Russell Wilson can escape pressure and extend plays. So Josh Allen being ranked ahead of Russell Wilson is football stupid. You could tell it's fantasy. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't get it. Like, so obviously these are points probably based off running the football, and that's fine, but Josh Allen doesn't have – um, Lamar Jackson type of speed. Like I, I think Lamar Jackson fantasy wise is still going to be probably a top five quarterback because he's going to run the football so much. My issue is his passing. I think Tennessee yeah. really turned him into a passer and you kind of saw the flaws are still there. I know he had what 35 touchdown passes in the regular season, but his accuracy is not something that you, you make him throw the football it's it's a problem. I think anywhere towards the sidelines, you try to funnel everything back towards the sidelines with him. I don't know, but he's, he'll still be a top five quarterback. I don't think he's going to put up the ridiculous numbers that he did last year, but um, top five makes sense. I'm just not super high on drafting a quarterback that I think will regress and not give you the same output he did last year. It's hard for him not to regress. I mean, he was so insanely good last year. Uh, I mean, the rushing alone is so valuable in fantasy football that if you had a high pick, like I said, and you, and you, you, you know, you need another running back. Lamar Jackson essentially is another running back that you're playing a quarterback. It's just almost unfair. Um, and the, anything you get passing wise on top of that is a bonus. So he will be, you know, a top five quarterback at the end of the day. But I just think when you're constructing your roster, when you're hurting at wide receiver because you took Lamar Jackson in the second round, it's not smart. Uh, I, I won my fantasy league for the first time ever last year and I dominated the entire league. I went 11 and two because I had Lamar Jackson, and Chris McCaffrey on the same team. They were the two fantasy football MVPs from last year, but 
I drafted Lamar Jackson in the ninth round, and he was far and away the number one quarterback of fantasy. And everyone didn't want to draft him because they didn't know what was going to happen. And I said, you know what? I'll take a shot on him. And it worked out in my favor. But that works because I, I had other players in place to make me successful. I had Christian McCaffrey and Chris Carson, and I had Allen Robinson and uh, Chris Godwin in place. And I had Travis Kelsey. Like, my team was loaded because I waited on a quarterback. This year, you can do the same thing, and it might not be to the extent of Lamar Jackson, but you can still have a successful quarterback picking him later. The point is, I think we both agree, wait on QB, unless it's a certain circumstance. But no matter what, you can get value in quarterback later, and God forbid you need to stream quarterbacks based on matchups. It's not the worst strategy in the world. That's typically what I do with tight ends, which is what we're going to talk about now. Uh, Because tight ends to me, unless you get a top three guy, a lot of these guys – uh, you can plug and play based on matchup. And, you know, if you have, like I said, we talked about the situation, if you have the first pick and then you come back around and you have Travis Kelsey staring at you, he's worth it. Especially in a PPR, he's going to be worth it. Uh, George Kittle, you want to take it? Yeah, I was going to say, if you're in a PPR league, there's no way uh, Travis Kelsey makes his way back around. He's gone well, most, pick 11 or 12. Yeah. Most likely, to me, maybe uh, George Kittle or Zach Ertz make it down to you. I don't blame you for taking any of those guys. Those guys are essentially, you know, just giant receivers that will get a lot of targets in the red zone. So, uh, if you can't get one of those three guys, I'm not in love with Mark Andrews for a lot of the things you said about Lamar Jackson. Um, I know he was, like, the guy for Lamar Jackson, but there is some regression to be expected there. Although, I do love Darren Waller from the, the, the Raiders, who comes in at five. Um He's going a little too high for me. He's going to like the fourth round. I probably won't take him in that spot, but I do love the potential for Darren Waller. And if I, you know, when you play daily fantasy, I could see me plugging him into the lineup often, you know, uh, among those top five guys, you, you know, can you see yourself reaching and taking any of those guys, Matt? Uh, you know, I could see, I probably wouldn't take Kittle. And I, I know that may surprise some people, because I don't think Kittle gets the receptions. Like, I, I have no issue taking Kelsey in the first round if it's a PPR league. You give me a full-point mm-hmm. PPR, I'll take Kelsey's 85 receptions and seven touchdowns every day of the week because I know what I'm right. getting if I'm picking 11 or 12, kind of like I said. Um, if it's just standard scoring, I agree with you. I would hold off on Kelsey until pick 24-ish, pick 28, somewhere in that range. I like Waller a lot for some strange reason. I don't know what it is, but I think Derek Carr, um, I, I just see that relationship working. I can see Derek Carr really utilizing him. Um, Austin Hooper with Cleveland is interesting. I like yeah. him. Um, Hunter Henry, eh, I don't know. Like, I feel like every year Hunter Henry gets overdrafted and people complain about his production every year. So I tend to put a black check mark next to Hunter Henry as do not draft. I think, yeah. and I, I, the guy that I'm really interested in that I would probably draft, and I know this is probably a late, late round pick, and that's Jimmy Graham. I think mm-hmm. when we talk about tight ends that you can get later in the draft, and that's why I agree with your strategy, don't overdraft a tight end. Take a look at the team more so than the tight end. Obviously, your top three, you know, they're not going to be there. When you get to four and five, you know, rounds four or five, maybe if they're there. But then we take a look at the guys and the drop-off's huge, but the team's going to utilize a tight end like the Bears, the Eagles. I mean, Zach Ertz always puts up good numbers. 
So I am a huge fan of those Andy Reid disciples. Um, God, I can't think of Indy's tight end. Oh, God. Jack Doyle. Jack Doyle. I, I like Jack Doyle as a streaming option. But guys like Jimmy Graham, a rookie to watch out for, Cole Komet. I wouldn't draft Cole Komet. I wouldn't, you know, maybe Jimmy Graham late pick. But I, I think Jimmy Graham's going to get you touchdowns. That's why. That's why I put Jimmy Graham up there. Yeah, you again with the Bears. Uh, I'm probably avoiding those guys. But, you know, situational streaming guys, I, I'm with you on that, that point. But but the, uh, that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm not picking yeah. these guys in the top yeah, I, I, 15 I rounds. You. Yeah. Um, as far as, like, late-round guys at tight end that you should consider that I, I love, uh, you know, Gronk, I, I've seen Gronk go in, like, the 10th round. And at the end of the day, uh, I'm going to pull the trigger on that, I think, almost every time especially if I have my running backs and receivers in place. Um, Hayden Hurst, I've seen go really late. And, you know, the Falcons made Austin Hooper into a really successful fantasy tight end. Uh, I think Hayden Hurst could have similar success in that Falcons role. Um, Austin Hooper, you mentioned for the Browns, I love him. Mike Giusecki with the Dolphins. They don't have great wide receivers outside of Devontae uh, Parker, and he's hurt. So if Tua gets the chance to play, I could see um, Giusecki having some success. Um, and a, a late round guy that I, a couple late round guys that I really love Chris Herndon for the Jets. You hear a lot of things coming out of the, the Jets where him and Darnold have a real good connection. He's going to get a lot of the red zone targets. Um, I look at guys in good offenses too. So like, I think Dallas is going to have a good offense. So Blake Jarwin, I could see getting some opportunity um, based on the receivers that they have. And then a late, late guy, I'm trying to find his name here, uh, which I can't. So you might know better than I do, but um Arizona, Dan Arnold, uh, you know, his very little receptions in his career, not a well-known guy, but I love the offense, his potential. And I think DeAndre Hopkins could open up some things. I think Christian Kirk should open up some things. So I think just by perhaps getting some open, like getting some space in the open field and Kyler maybe developing, I could see him having some success. Although I guess I wouldn't draft him. This is a similar concept to your Jimmy Graham thought. I could see him being a guy you pick up early in the season if he's having success. Um, have you seen anything you're out in Arizona? Have you seen any hype about Dan Arnold? No, and I, I wouldn't expect to see. I, I mean, the local guys will talk about the tight end position. Like, oh, yeah, Dan Arnold is definitely a viable option. But you, you take a look at how many pass catchers they have. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins, um, like you said, Christian Kirk. But Larry Fitzgerald's there. I mean, Larry Fitzgerald doesn't drop anything. So you take a look at that situation. I just don't see the need to draft Dan Arnold or even play him. I, unless he starts putting up ridiculous numbers, I'm not touching Dan Arnold. I don't feel the need to. Um, I, I just go back to better options. You know, I yeah. think Indy has a better option with Philip Rivers, who loves tight ends. You know, he utilized Antonio Gates until he was blue in the face. I like Gronk. You know, obviously Gronk's not a streaming option, but him going that low also – um, OJ Howard down in Tampa, you know, yeah. do they still have Cameron Brate too? Yes, they do. Holy fuck. What, what, what do you do with all those tight ends? <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised you see Brate in that fullback type role sometimes. Uh, some teams utilize the tight end in that, in that way. So I can see that. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about three guys and all three of those guys would be a top tight end on another team. It's really crazy. Mm -hmm. So I mean, and then I think what Pittsburgh signed Eric Ebron. So yeah. that might be something that you want to take a look at as well. Yeah. Those are guys I lean to. I think with um, Roethlisberger and Ebron, that's a good combination. I, I probably wouldn't go Dan Arnold though. 
I'm not saying draft the guy, but if he starts having success early in the year, I wouldn't be surprised. And this is like the deepest of deepest rounds and sleeper if you're in a crazy deep lead, uh, league. Um, I'll just say some guys I won't own in fantasy. I mentioned Mark Andrews. I won't touch him. Uh, Evan Ingram, I'm a big Giants fan. I love Evan Ingram's talent, but he's often injury prone. He's never worth the, the, the spot you pick him in. Tyler Higby played well in the last six games of the season last year for the Rams, going way too high for my liking. I will not touch him. Noah Fant, I do love the Broncos offense, but with a young quarterback and all the other weapons, I just don't see how many opportunities he's going to have. And then Jared Cook for the Saints. The definition of touchdown dependent uh, is Jared Cook, and I just I don't know how much I trust the Saints. So I'm going to avoid Jared Cook uh, basically at all costs. So um, I don't know. I, I don't know how you feel. Overall. I mean, I, I don't know if those are some of the names that you've been kind of avoiding as well, but what are some of the tight ends that you uh, kind of no, no thanks on? I, I I mean, similar guys. I can't think of the Packers tight end, but I, I know. Oh, Jay Sternberger? Yeah, I, I'm not. I won't no, touch him either. Yeah, I, I mean, it, there's just no upside to that one. But, yeah, no, I mean, I, I guess I'm on the fence about Jack Doyle with Indy. I do like him. I do like Phillip Rivers there, but I'd have to see more. But, yeah, guys that you mentioned, Noah Fant, I mean, he's just one of those guys I've seen on tape, and I just don't – there's nothing eye popping about it. Like, man, this guy just looks like a boy's a boy among or a man among boys. So right. I, I just don't feel like there's enough options there for me to feel comfortable with Denver's tight end situation. When you have Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler. Yeah. There's a lot, a lot going on there. But I mean, the thing about uh, Jack Doyle is that if you waited on a tight end and you would need one in the 14th round, he's going to be there for you. So Jack Doyle is a nice security blanket, and I think he will have a decent year with Philip Rivers. Um, so I, I don't, I like the like the call for Jack Doyle. He's always been pretty reliable, and you know Andrew Luck loves throwing to him as well. Um, but I, I recently posted a poll in Football Life about the interest in fantasy football. It seems like we have enough to do maybe two separate leagues here. So you know what I want from the group is you're checking this out. I, I kind of want some feedback and your ideas because we don't have a lot of time here. Literally, the season starts next week. Uh, I want to come up with a plan. Uh, my plan, I'm just going to say it out loud now, Matt. I want to get your thoughts. Uh, right now we have uh, 18 people voted for yes to do a fun league. And that's without our votes. So I figured we could uh, make that an even 20. And then we each could do a 10-team league. And then, you know, I'll run one, you run one. And then each week on the pod, we give each other updates based on those leagues. I think it could be a fun, interactive way to keep the, the audience involved. So uh, what do you think about that plan? Yeah, I, I think that one works out well for all the parties involved. Yeah, it's a 10-team league, so it's not like an expert league by any means. But, uh, you know, you really got to know your stuff at that point, too. I think you, know, you get to take those players for granted in those early rounds. You'd be surprised who's still there, but you can't get cute. Uh, some other teams going to be more stacked than you. For those of you interested in the money league, I would suggest reaching out to Henry Maldonado Jr. He did say there was a couple positions available. So if you're still looking for a more serious league, that's like a hundred dollar buy-in uh, a little too, you know, deep from my pockets, but uh, and I think there might be a couple spots available. If you're looking for something a little more serious, just reach out to him. He's you know super accessible. He'll get back to you pretty quickly. Um, so yeah, I'm super excited for fantasy. I got a draft coming up tomorrow. I got, Another draft on Monday. I got another draft next Tuesday. So, I, it's it's the season, man. I don't know how many leagues are you in this year. Yeah, I'm gonna do three this year. I'm getting back in one money league just because I feel the need to, you know, be a degenerate and gamble. 
and then I'll probably do this league, and, and then I'll just do another league just for shits and giggles. You know, I'll just try to pick guys. I, I may just do all homer picks. <laughs> so yeah, see how that goes for me. You know, maybe. I know there's this one league that someone, one of my buddies was trying to toss around where you only draft players in one division. So, yeah, but it's like a six team league. So, okay. But um, I I think quarterback's the only position where you get to draft from outside your division. So, but every other position you have to draft with inside. So it's different. Okay. Okay. I like that. Uh, I always overdo it because I'm an idiot and uh, I am in six leagues this year. Um, and it, I always stretch myself too thin. But last year, Matt, last year I finally broke through and won my league that I've run since 2013. I finally have my name on my trophy, which I wish I grabbed to show you, but it's on my desk, which I will show you guys ne- next week. Uh, but finally, my name's on the trophy. Thank you, Lamar Jackson. Thank you, Christian McCaffrey and others for leading the way on that. But, uh, you know, before we say goodbye, Matt, we had an unfortunate situation. Uh, late Friday night, I got the news. I was actually out socializing with some friends. And we got the news that actor Chadwick Boseman passed away. And, you know, for me, I kind of, I always sort of uh, think about what they meant to me. And Chadwick Boseman was Jackie Robinson in 42. So he died on Jackie Robinson day. And that's like too ironic for me to even handle, to be honest. But he also played significant roles in pop culture, which he is the Black Panther, one of the most iconic superhero movies uh, of recent memory. And, you know, he is a real-life superhero for a lot of people for that reason. And he also played two prevalent football roles. He played Monte Mack in Draft Day, which I know how much you love Draft Day. But, you know, he was the coveted prospect that the Browns so desperately wanted. And he had a a moment in The Express, the Ernie Davis story, as Floyd Little at the end of that movie. So he definitely – he had some roles in football movies and he had some roles – other other, uh, inspirational movies he did as well are James Brown. He did Get On Up. And he also played Marshall, which is their good Marshall. So in just a short amount of time in this world, he made such an impact in playing such prominent figures in our, our country's history. So, you know, I, I was super upset when I heard about his passing from colon cancer, which no one even really knew about. Um, but, you know, what are your thoughts? I mean, you know, uh, Chadwick Boseman, one of the most influential actors to me uh, in my lifetime, I mean, given how young he was. The short amount of time and how he carried himself in the class and the mm-hmm. dignity that he just possessed. And you read some of the stuff that he just um, suggested in Black Panther. You know, he's the one that actually suggested that Killmonger say that last line, you know, just throw me <clears> in the ocean with my ancestors who realized it was better to die, you know, and there, instead of bondage, you know, die free mm-hmm. instead of bondage. So I think just his ability to see things and how much he pressed on the African culture during Black Panther. He wanted to speak, you know, um, I forgot what the actor who played his father spoke, but he was from Africa and they spoke that language throughout the movie. So it was a real dialect, which was very interesting and touching, but yeah, 42, he just commanded the role of Jackie Robinson. It just made you really feel like he owned that role and he was destined to play that role. Um, draft day. I, I hate draft day. I think it's one of the worst movies ever made, but (laughs) the lone bright spot I will say was Chadwick Boseman in that movie as Vontae Mack, you know, um, outside of the, the sheer foolishness of how the NFL would never work. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, 
Uh, but once you get past all that, you know, I yeah. thought Chadwick Boseman was fantastic in that movie. He, he leaves behind such a impact and legacy that I don't think you can understate it. Like, you can't redo these roles. You can't recast mm -hmm. the Black Panther. It's just stuff that he owned, and it's a shame when you read about these things. But the one thing I'll say about Chadwick Boseman, more so than anything else, and this tells you what type of person he was, on his worst days, when he was getting treatment at the hospitals, when he was getting his chemotherapy treatments, he went to the kids that were sick and, made, and brightened up their day, you know, made mm -hmm. sure that they felt like heroes and they were superheroes. And it's, that tells me a lot about the man himself because yeah. when you're at your worst, how you are during those moments just amplifies what type of person you are. And you know, kudos to Chadwick and really sad to see him go. Yeah, I mean, you, you talk about inspiration. It's it's hard to look at his situation and not be inspired by it because even on his, his dying days, he strives to make someone else's day in life better. And I think we all could learn a little bit about that. And now, and, you, and it goes to show like you can't judge someone else uh, based on what you know their appearance. You never know what someone's going through. So, you know, to me, I it just you know puts life into perspective a little bit, makes you appreciate what you have because it can be gone in an instant and. Uh, you know, I, I know this isn't super football related. I know he did a couple of football related movies, but I thought it was prominent for us to discuss uh, someone who's a real life superhero, uh, someone who is a lot of these players we talk about look up to. And I won't be surprised if we see a lot of tributes to Chadwick Boseman this NFL season. So uh, I want to thank Chadwick Boseman for inspiring me doing one of the greatest stories in the history of sports in Jackie Robinson. To me, it is the greatest story in history of sports. Um, you know, it was a pleasure to have been able to watch and, and learn from some of those things that he did. And um, Matt, I, I guess you know, I don't really know how else to say goodbye here, but I want to give you the floor one last time before we, we, we say goodbye. Is there anything else you want to say? Obviously, um, we have a great show with the pod jobbers coming up on Thursday. And as you know, one of the main hosts there, Jake Schwartz, we did have him booked for today's show. But unfortunately, we just ran out of time. <laughs> but in all seriousness, um, great lineup of podcasts this week. Um, for those who don't know, I do want to say Total Bases on Sunday morning. Check it out. You, you won't regret it. Randy, we will not be on Tuesday of next week. I think um, I, I will be celebrating a day for me. That is my day. So I will be capacitated. <laughs> but yes. Friday, are we a go for Friday, September 11th? Uh, potentially. I mean, I'm working on a schedule, but I, we're going to celebrate another trip around the sun for you, Matt. Uh, stay tuned because I might still try to do a show that day to preview opening day, if nothing else. I just want to get ahead of that. So uh, I'm leaning towards we're going to make Friday work regardless. The show must go on. So I'm going to, you know, assume yes. So an early happy birthday to you, Matt. Um, you know, be sure, you know, thank you guys for tuning in and adjusting with us on YouTube. And, and you know, if you're listening on, on Spotify or Apple or Anchor, you know, we greatly appreciate that as well. Uh, you know, Matt, you know, like I said, early happy birthday to you. 2020 got another great one in Chadwick Bozeman. Wakanda forever. Say hi to Kobe for me. Hope you guys have a good week. Take care.